Welcome to the Teaming Against Trauma podcast, brought to you by Dorchester Children's Advocacy Center. My name's Brooke Anderson, and I'm so grateful that you're here with us. We'll be talking about the way child advocacy professionals come together to fight against trauma and the effects that it has on children. From these conversations, my hope is that you'll gain a better understanding of the way the Child Advocacy Center model works and leave feeling inspired with action steps that you can use to better understand trauma and prevent child abuse. This work truly takes a team to do. So now I'm considering you a part of ours. Welcome to the team. Now let's fight together. If you've been listening along, or if you're familiar with childhood trauma and development, you've likely heard the term adverse childhood experiences come up. You may also know it as ACEs. I'm going to be sharing all about ACEs today on this episode, and I'm actually doing it all by myself. So this is Brooke. I am an ACE master trainer through the South Carolina Children's Trust, which is an awesome nonprofit organization based out of Columbia, South Carolina, and they focus all of their efforts on preventing abuse and neglect. So I have a pretty good grasp on what ACEs are, and I'll tell you a little bit more uh, later on about why really it is ACEs that has gotten me so obsessed with this work, because I just think that it is so fascinating. So I want to jump in and tell you a little bit about the study. It was done in the years of 1995 to 1997 by doctors Robert Anda and Vincent Valetti from the Kaiser Permanente and CDC. Each were studying separate conditions at the time. One was studying smoking cessation and the other was studying obesity. And they found this common thread that they were seeing among their clients. So they developed a study that later on confirmed their initial thoughts. They looked at 17,000 participants and they concluded with this study, and I'll tell you more about it, the, the details, but the study confirms, just overarching, with scientific evidence that adversity early in life increases physical, mental, and behavioral health problems later in life. Now you may be thinking, well, yeah, that makes sense. Hopefully it does make sense, but we're going to take a deeper dive in just a minute and look at why this is happening, because it wasn't surprising that this is what was found, but what is pretty surprising is the background and the in-depth understanding of the way that this is occurring. So I want us to lean in to this, this idea that what they found is really groundbreaking because it affects all of us. Even if you haven't been directly affected by ACEs, someone you know probably has. Someone in your workplace, someone in your family, someone in your friend group, or just the people that you're interacting with at the grocery store or doctor's office. We all need to understand ACEs and what they are and what they do to a person. So breaking it down a little bit further that they looked at were abuse, neglect, and household dysfunction. 
Under the category of abuse, they looked at physical abuse, emotional abuse, and sexual abuse. Under neglect, they looked at physical neglect and emotional neglect. Under household dysfunction, they looked at mental illness, if you had an incarcerated relative, if your mother was treated violently, if there was substance abuse, and if there was divorce. Now note that there are more than these adverse experiences that a child can have, but these were the 10 that were chosen for this study. So when you take the test, it's a score from one to 10. If you've experienced one of the things that I listed, then you have a one. If you've experienced all 10, you get a 10. So you can take this test even just mentally in your mind as I Uh, rattled those off, like where you're kind of at, and maybe you were already doing that um, or already have. But there's also um, an actual test where it goes into more in-depth questions that you can answer um, on Children's Trust, and I'll put that link in the show notes. So we haven't really dove into the specifics of the study um, yet because I want to explain what is happening behind the scenes, which is really what's so interesting about all of this. Now, I'm not any kind of scientist, um, so this is going to be a basic version. If you're a scientist, I'm sorry if I'm saying things in a very basic form. You probably know more, but for most people um, listening, I hope that this will make sense to you. That's really my goal. So what I want to explain a little bit about this study, we kind of have the understanding of what was found, the basics of what was being looked at. Um, And I want to explain now the background of what is actually happening. And that's called the neuroscience and epigenetics. So that those are big words, but essentially what they what neuroscience tells us is that memories of our experiences are stored in our bodies. There's actually a book called The Body Keeps the Score with a lot more in-depth information about this, and I would highly recommend if you are super interested to go and get that book and start looking into this because it is so fascinating. But in general, the human nervous system is what regulates us. The synapses or connections of nerves in the brain are called neurons, and very few at a time are what we have at our birth. So when we're born, we don't have many connections, right? We're entering the world and we're soaking it all in, right? With all of these connections are being fired and wired as we start to grow and we get older. We're making sense of life. And this would make sense, right? The first six years of our life, we're learning things like walking, talking, thinking, processing. We're taking in all of these things that are around us, almost like a sponge and making all these neural connections and pathways in our brains. Once a person hits puberty, around 14 years old, you could say, their brain actually starts pruning these unused neural connections away because they don't really need them. So only the ones that made an impact and were reinforced are what will stay. If we think of it like this common analogy that maybe you've heard when you're trying to learn about stress in like your high school psychology class, if you're walking down the wood in the woods, say it's a sunny Sunday afternoon and you're on a hike and all of a sudden you see a bear 
what happens to your body. Maybe your heart starts pounding, your breath starts being quicker, right? Your might start shaking. You've probably heard the term fight, flight, or freeze. That's the response that's going to kick into action when our bodies are in high states of stress. Now, if we imagine that bear, and then we think of that bear coming home with us every day, what if that bear is actually your mom? This heightened level of stress and trauma impacts our bodies in major way, ways. And this is where things get really interesting. So if in those early years that I explained before, we are experiencing these high levels of stress consistently, aka abuse, neglect, trauma, or even something like extreme being in a war zone. The child's body has prepared them for a life in a very dangerous world. These hormones like adrenaline and cortisol and wiring that has happened and sculpted the brain to have characteristics prone to edginess, hot-temperedness, impulsiveness, or being withdrawn, disassociated, or numb. This results in the actions of individuals struggling socially. On the other hand, when children are raised in an environment free of traumatic stress, the brain develops in a healthy way. Its wiring and chemistry is being routed and for focused, flexible, and relationship-oriented life, trusting, and safe. Now, if we look at these two different things, I know that I'm making it very clear for the purpose of understanding this, but we wouldn't just expect a lay person in a war zone to know how to fight, right? And then we couldn't put someone who came from a war zone into a normal safe setting and expect them to know how to behave. Like I said, I know this is extreme, but I hope that it helps us grasp this idea because when behaviors don't make sense for the context of the situation, it could be connected to how those neurons were formed or not formed in childhood. Things like sitting still, listening, respecting adults may be more difficult for a child who has experienced high levels of trauma, not just because they're, quote, a bad kid but because their brain on a neurological level is operating differently than their classmates. This is a huge part of understanding ACEs. This is why I think it could change our perspective on so many things. Because when we understand that something is happening beneath the surface, beyond what we can see with our eyes, it creates in us a deeper sense of empathy. We maybe change the script from what is wrong with you to what has happened to you. Now, the good news is because of something called neuroplasticity, which really means the brain's ability to rewire those connections, we can actually make lasting changes and train the brain to operate out of a place of safety rather than consistent danger. But Of course, this takes a lot of work, and the younger this starts, the better. This is where 
we get so passionate at the CAC about trauma treatment and getting trauma-informed therapy if you haven't gotten the chance to listen back um, to last month's episode where Rob and Melissa, two of our clinical supervisors, go into depth about the importance of trauma therapy. Now, I also want to touch for just a minute on epigenetics. This is another interesting part of ACEs that I'm not going to go into in as much detail, but It's essentially the genetic expression of certain genes that can be turned on and off due to experiences that a person has. And in this context, we're talking about childhood. Now, how that's related to trauma is that scientists have actually found responses from stress can be passed down from one generation to the next without that generation that they're looking at at the time ever experiencing the direct trauma. Genes related to certain diseases and certain responses are turned on and off. And this is fascinating. It's so fascinating. And I encourage you to look into more studies on epigenetics, specifically related to generational trauma. But that is another aspect of ACEs and the passion we have to break that cycle in this generation so that it's not continually passed down. Now that you have an understanding of the background of the kind of intricacies of the neurodevelopment that's happening in the child, I want to explain what this really showed and the impact that this has on so many levels. So the ACE study hypothesis is the concept that ACEs leads to impaired neurodevelopment, which is what we just talked about. Now, taking it a step further it in turn leads to social, emotional, and cognitive adaptations that can then lead to risk factors for major causes of diseases, disabilities, social problems, and even early death. If you're familiar with ACEs at all, you may be thinking about that pyramid uh, that explains these things, the ways that they go together and impact each other. Now, the power of ACEs is what is predictable is preventable. And this is why it's so interesting to public health professionals, because if we have the potential to understand multiple forms of childhood trauma and the effect that it has on public health problems, we could potentially prevent some of those public health problems early on in people's lives. Now, this is the personal side of why I think it's so interesting because I went to school for public health and I found it so fascinating, this idea of prevention being at the forefront of what they're interested in and involved in. And when I started researching ACEs, I realized, oh, this is like a root problem to a lot of other things that are being addressed in the public health field. I was working sometime with diabetes education and heart disease education and even HIV and those types of things. Actually, they're not always, I want you to hear it's not cause and effect, but there is a correlation that has been found between these diseases and adverse childhood experiences. Ultimately, we could prolong people's lives. And that's the power of understanding ACEs. So let me tell you a little bit more about the population that was being studied. The study participants in this 
study with the 17,000 were white, middle-class, generally well-educated individuals who had access to some of the best healthcare in the world. These were people that you would have assumed would have had very good health, right? They weren't the population that you may assume would one have adverse childhood experiences and be affected by them because they should have had access to really great health care. But I want to take a moment to remember that child abuse and neglect surpasses all ages, race, gender, socioeconomic status, and really anything else. No one is exempt from experiencing child abuse or neglect. And therefore, no one is exempt from experiencing the effects that they may have on their life later on. So now I want to share with you some of the statistics on what was found in this ACE study. Statistics found that only a third of people in the study had an experience of zero ACEs. So 26% experienced one. 16% said they experienced two, 10% said they experienced three, and 16% said they experienced four or more ACEs. Now, it's interesting of why they even chose the ACE score, right? The one through 10, because normally these were just looked at individually. But because of the high interrelation between the ACEs, they developed the ACE score of one to 10. So the more ACEs that you had, the higher your score was, the more at risk you would be to develop the things that we were talking about before, risk to disease and ultimately an earlier death. So this really is a hidden burden in the population and it really is to much of the world. Some examples of ACEs attributable problems are alcoholism and alcohol abuse, chronic disease, lung disease, heart disease, depression, drug use, obesity, sexual behavior problems, smoking, unintended pregnancy, violence, and workplace problems. There are so many things that are connected back to ACEs. And that's why it's so important that everyone understands them. So some specifics on South Carolina are that three in five South Carolinians reported having ACEs. That means 68% of people in South Carolina report having at least one ACE. The highest is parent separation and divorce below that emotional abuse, and then household substance use. Of those 68% that reported ACEs, 88% report more than one ACE. So you can look at the Children's Trust website that I'll connect in the show notes for more county-specific data, but it is pretty consistent with the state, so I wasn't going to mention it here. But I want to end on the bright side because there is absolutely a bright side. Not only can the effects of ACEs be changed by intervention and treatment, but also there's something that we call PCEs or positive childhood experiences that are being studied more and more. 
the positive childhood experiences that are looked at are kind of seeing like even if these aces exist, if they also have positive experiences, how does that balance out the scale or negate the effects that may occur from aces? So the PCEs that are addressed are feeling safe and protected at home, having a sense of belonging in high school, feeling supported by friends, being able to share their feelings, enjoy participation in community traditions, feel supported by family during difficult times, and feeling that two or more people outside of their family cares about them. So these are the positive childhood experiences that are being studied and not as much research is done on these yet, but some general ideas about it are that it really looks at the importance of resilience, the ability for children to overcome obstacles, and it separates out resilience from grit because grit is really the ability to endure or persevere through hard times which is an important part, but if resilience isn't there to actually overcome these things, to not have the effects, to actually build healthy relationships and support systems and connections, that's more than just the individual responsibility and burden that may be felt from life, really, and children experiencing life in their childhood. So the core protective systems that... Um, have been identified that are so important to PCEs and to developing PCEs in children's lives that we all can be a part of to some degree. There's three of them. There's capabilities, which is this positive view, recognizing that every child has gifts and they're valuable to share with the world. And it's our job to call those out and help develop those in children, whatever degree we are involved in their life. They help build self-efficacy and self-regulation. So even things like having them do chores or do things that they're good at, like guitar or soccer, or doing breathing exercises, having times for mindfulness or times in prayer can all really help regulate those Um emotions that they may be feeling and show them that they're capable of good things in this world. The second is attachment and belonging. This is showing that people and places care about them, that they belong to something bigger than themselves, and that they can form healthy relationships. So whether this is with you or your family or your friends, people that are safe and close to you are so important. And also things like soccer games or basketball games or choir or church, a place that a child feels like they belong and they have healthy attachments is critical to their positive childhood experiences. And then third is culture, community, and spirituality. This is the positive relationships and experiences in these in these children's life that allows them to grow and make changes in their life. This actually comes from a more systemic level change to benefit the child on a larger scale, giving them more access and ability to experience these things in life to the fullest. So my challenge to you is, can you think of a way 
that you can be a part of one of the core protective factors in a child's life today. We all can. And this is part of the importance of this work that we're doing is that all of us have a part. And I hope that you continually hear me say that again and again, because that's the idea of us being on a team and you truly are part of our team. Maybe you are just a safe person for a kid to open up to if they need to. And you don't need to have letters behind your name to make a great impact on a child's life. You can do this in any setting at any place. Really, it's your willingness to care about them deeply and see and look for a connection with them. The number one factor of success in healing from trauma, which we talked about in past episodes, especially last month, is a believing and supporting caregiver. So I encourage you to listen um, more to that and research more about PCEs. They are such a critical factor in us combating the effects of ACEs together. So I hope that you now have a better understanding of adverse childhood experiences, what the study was, what it found, and hopefully this encouraged you to start looking into it more and start spreading the word about it. If you want more resources, you can first go to our website under education and resources. We have an adverse childhood experiences page where it talks more about everything I was explaining. But you also have the opportunity to request us to come out and do a training. We can tailor this training to whoever the population is, and it can be from one to three hours long. If you're interested in that training, it is free of cost. We will come and do it um, for you and any people that you gather. Um, Specifically, if you're a youth-serving organization, we would love to come and do an ACE training with you. You can either contact me directly or go to our website under education and training opportunities and request a training. We'd love for you also to share uh, this episode on your social media, if you can repost our post about it and spread the word so that others can learn about ACEs and continue this work that we're all doing together. If you want to know more about DCAC, I want to extend the invite to you to come to one of our community awareness luncheons. We have them scheduled for October 19th and November 9th. And you can visit our website to see more information on that. But I would love to meet you in person um, and get to show you around our center so that you can understand this whole concept even deeper. Ultimately, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being on our team. Thank you for being a difference maker. Thank you that you are the difference in children's lives. And it is my absolute honor to get to do this with you. So I look forward to talking to you next month. Let's keep fighting together.